Hi everybody, welcome to the NMC Watch podcast. All of our guests have had a variety of experience, some good, some not so good. And when they've been through their fitness to practice experience with the NMC or their associated regulator, this is often the first time they've had a chance to express their feelings and their whole um, thoughts around the process. Sometimes their opinions will vary from ours. Uh, sometimes we might disagree on certain aspects, but we hope to give them a platform that they can safely talk about what's happened and have a bit of debate about the best way forward. So I'm joined today with Paul, who is an independent midwife, and he's worked across a variety of hospitals and community settings, both in the UK, Australia, Asia and Europe. Paul is trained in law and mediation. He lectures on midwifery, law, human rights and childbirth globally. He's a neonatal intensive care nurse and provides newborn feeding support also, including tantai release. He has a special interest in twins, as he and his sons are identical twins. He has been working with birth for over 30 years and is now writing, filmmaking and doing work on global human rights and childbirth choices. He is focused on the next generations and women's choices. He has a daughter who is his greatest teacher. Paul has been a supporter of NMC Watch's work since we began, really, and he's assisted our group in many ways. Sadly, in April this year, Paul had his own case by the NMC, which resulted in a strike off the nursing register, showing us that even the most experienced of our colleagues are vulnerable. He is aiming to attend the High Court in November this year to appeal this decision. So hi, Paul. Hi, Catherine. Welcome. So thanks for joining us today. Can you just give the listeners a, a brief introduction into your sort of history within nursing and midwifery? My background in nursing and midwifery is I actually studied law first, then lived a bit in North India, came back and did nursing. I'd worked in Pakistan, Afghan border area, did midwifery because I was in remote places like Australia, Sri Lanka, and I've worked as a midwife over 30 years, but I carried on being a paediatric specialist, working with cardiac surgery, things like this, uh, respiratory things, especially in Australia, New Zealand and the UK, where I'm registered in all three countries. And I have an international registration based in America, globally for uh, Asia, Africa, that kind of thing, and, and the Americas. And I continue doing neonatal intensive care work. I actually say that's always a holiday compared to midwifery. Midwifery is a more contentious issue. We're more, not always more, but sometimes midwives hopefully are practicing autonomously without instruction from doctors, whereas nurses, uh, quite often we, we have a plan with the doctors and the family for the care of a baby or child. So, yeah, I worked in both nursing and midwifery in hospitals and out of hospital, always independent and always doing some government hospital work, whether it be agency or contract work. So before your referral, had you had much experience with the NMC before before you were actually referred? Yes, I had. I Actually, I'm allocated as a high profile case. I did start a court case against them 15 years ago. And that was after many years of frustration where they would sanction colleagues who did entirely reasonable things, but might have broken a rule or some guideline. And you can't break a guideline. It's just a guideline. But the NMC didn't understand these uh, 
aspects. For example, 30 years ago, a midwife put a woman in her car who was bleeding postnatally, took her to hospital. She got struck off because she didn't have the correct insurance. But the High Court reinstated her. And as the High Court also reinstated you, Catherine, and mm. other midwives I know, um, the care, sorry, the, the judgments by the NMC show that they don't understand what a nurse is. They don't understand what a midwife is. They also don't understand regulatory law because as I challenge them, even simple fairness, because I'm in court with employment law and other types of things, including family law as a family mediator, and judges would never allow one party to hide evidence. And we've had this in the UK with the Crown Prosecution hiding evidence in criminal cases. And the law was very hard on the CPS saying how and the police must not hide evidence that may be of benefit to the defendant. Now, I'm asking, we're putting a bundle together for the judge and they're hiding documents. They won't hand things over. They do it encrypted or password. Uh, it's really like tying one hand behind your back. It's actually much worse because the final ultimate sacrifice that happens with all registrants, whether they're nurses, midwives, doctors, physios, dentists, is the mental health. Just, just like the people we care for. Mental health is a massive issue, often overlooked. And nurses and midwives may have suicidal ideation, and a few of them will actually commit suicide. So the unfair pressure of game playing, win at all costs by the NMC, has massive implications, not just losing somebody's job and income, but also their mental health. Absolutely. And we see that a lot with everybody in our group, don't we? The impact of it is very far reaching to uh, the end of the case, regardless of what the outcome is. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about your case and why you're yeah. appealing the decision that the NMC made? The case was essentially about whether somebody me had insurance, indemnity insurance to practice in France. Now, in France, there is none available. There's 100 home birth midwives. They practice without it. Foreign midwives occasionally go there. Somebody could have a friend, relative, neighbour or someone they've gone to assist. I went to give assistance to a British woman with antenatal care, possibly be there for the birth, but she had other plans as well. And there's no insurance in the country. Therefore, I didn't have any. And a complaint was made to the regulator that I practiced without insurance. They suspended me. When they... I challenge the, everything that they did, and I encourage everybody to challenge every single decision. Don't think this is a normal organization. It's completely irrational. And I say that because it needs to have a rationale for everything it does. And it often doesn't have a rationale for its process or the ultimate decisions. So I challenged it and I got a conditions of practice, which was effectively suspension by another name. Because they have a template for conditions of practice, unless you're lucky and get a good panel and you have good representation who can manipulate the template to an individual personal plan that's achievable. And that is possible. Some people do get that. I represent myself, the panel, all very nice and friendly, and they just didn't want to change the template. And I had a list of 10 things I could do, like breastfeeding, tongue-tie support, uh, education, management, um, working with another independent midwife. No, you've got to work with a band this in a NHS hospital and in this fixed little box that would be impossible. So it was suspension by another name. I continued appealing and challenging everything. 
and they rushed because they had an extension of the one and a half year investigation where they did nothing they never spoke to me um i wrote for example subject access request saying even is there a case against me because i see you tried to notify me of something i don't know what it is i wrote to the chief exec i did many freedom of information and subject access requests got nothing for well over a year suddenly told yes there is a case and it's like next week with the final hearing they rushed it because they had been given a extension although at that time in the high court the judge did criticize them i think on being disproportionate told them to get a move on with this case it's not a complex case and the same judge said i see that you're coming before me this afternoon the nmc for other extensions and i'm tired of having these extensions you need to get on with your work and coronavirus or any other excuse is not good enough and there's a balance that needs to be struck between the harm to the registrant and i say that again the harm to the registrant because the safety of the public is all they're talking about and they don't seem to consider the safety of the registrant so that judge said you cannot have as long as you want and they restricted the time so as that time was ticking over they generally coerce their witnesses to say what they want they don't speak to my witnesses at all and they were pushing everybody they couldn't get the witnesses they wanted to say what they want and then they just rushed it through said okay we've got a hearing like next week it's a final hearing i said well when are my witnesses talking i need to arrange you know, one is an american midwife that works in france uh, others are in europe and some are in the uk uh, they can give video evidence you know how would you like it all this reasonable stuff they wouldn't generally answer anything and i said well there can't be a hearing without the witnesses so that was the lead up to it i mentioned the main allegation was lack of insurance or indemnity insurance they added things on to that again showing how they don't know what a nurse or midwife or regulatory law is about they would say things like why didn't i warn the patient she should have blood test and scan and why didn't i make her go and have blood test and scan and why did i put um medicine in her fridge well if she's having a home birth that's the place where she needs it so they have no concept about out of hospital things they're just applying the word patient to women giving birth they're not sick we're all people we all have human rights as i come on to later so they added on you know uh, maladministration or storage of a drug um and like in maybe your case where they said um dishonesty i think about untruthfulness where there's a, a little you know you could tick a box on a online form and get the box wrong and suddenly you're the most dishonest gross professional misconduct and basically a criminal and a threat to the public just because you ticked the wrong box or something so in my case they had three or four other things that then became about 10 charges and as we've seen from one of our colleagues just a few moments ago on nmc watch they posted 39 of their charges have been cancelled today you know another colleague i know had i think 90 charges for three years got to the final hearing zero yeah and this is all part of i would say the winner all costs they want a strong prosecution style i call it persecutorial sometimes um they want to maybe work for crown prosecution in the future they want to say i have a high success rate in getting convictions they're not thinking about truth or justice or honesty or even fair process so 
Um, that describes a bit more about my case and the timing. So three years of that, got a rushed hearing at the end. They allocated almost three weeks. I waited the first couple of days sending them written submissions and asking, is it really going ahead? If so, when are the witnesses talking? And they never replied to things. They said, I'd chosen to absent myself. And here's a crux I put to all the listeners. I then clicked the link, went into the hearing sometimes, found myself in a waiting room. In the waiting room would be me, maybe another person waiting. Sometimes I'd recognize the name of a colleague. And there would be the case hearing coordinator. And I couldn't get access to the hearing. And I would say, well, is it on? What's happening? And they wouldn't reply. Now, some days they had in secret. Some days were in private. Some days were in camera. I don't know what those things mean. They've never explained. They've never explained why I'm high profile either. And then at the end of it, getting towards the last few days, they said, We'd, the panel would like to hear from you. We know you haven't been able to log on. Can you log on? I said, yes, I'm here. I'm in the waiting room. And after a few hours, another sign saying session ended and they had found everything against me. They've just repeated everything the prosecution said. They failed to cross-examine the prosecution witnesses. I never had an opportunity to cross-examine the prosecution witnesses. And it's general failure to weigh and test the evidence. They just say, oh, this woman who's crying or this witness we believe is a manager or whatever in a hospital. And they were adding on another case. And they had to drop that because there was no case. They're really looking, um, you know, they're fishing for evidence against us. And that's why people have a fear, even if they've never had a case with the NMC, they have a fear and they're not always doing the best thing for the people we're caring for. We have to protect our registration, which sometimes compromises the care. So I'll pause there, see if you want to direct me on another question, Your Honour. Why? <laughs> I love it. Um, why do you think your case particularly is so important to members of NMC Watch? What What are the sort of common themes that you think are applicable to those in our group? Thank you. That's a brilliant and useful question because I had alluded earlier to I had not always been able to access documents or access the hearing. And also there's an online program called WISE, if you want to change your address or any details. So I've written to the NFC many times saying that WISE doesn't allow us to get in and change things. They said, okay, we know there's problems with it. Just tell us your change of address or whatever. And now they've sent screenshots to the court saying, oh, he's obstructive or doesn't tell us his address. I actually don't have a place to live because of the loss of income means I've lost my home. I've lost everything. I have no income at all for three years. Um, so, you know, I rely on the kindness of others, really. Strangely enough, as I mentioned, I was helping refugees a while ago. Uh, now the refugees are helping me. It's a wow. funny old world. But where all our, our <laughs> listeners could actually help, I think we have too much of a victim culture, and I have been there myself. I could even be a victim every day still. It's possible. But generally, I shifted, and psychology helped me massively with this. I studied compassionate psychology. But where are listeners, if you've experienced difficulty accessing a hearing or accessing documents because of encryption or password or accessing your own profile on the NMC to make any changes, you could simply write, I had difficulty with blah, 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 sign and date it, send it to me. I'm going to the judge saying, I'm not the only one because the NMCs say 
Paul Golden's the only person who couldn't access the hearing. And I've got a couple of other witnesses who've written statements, but mostly there's a, a deafening silence. And we will all tell negative stories of how bad it is, what they've done to me. No, what can we do? Everything is a creative opportunity. Everything. Why do you think generally um, nurses and midwives are reluctant to speak up like yourself? You're, you know, I think you're seen as somebody that's very brave, you know, telling telling everybody about what's really going on there with these cases. Why do you think so many registrants are are scared to sort of tell people how it really is? The first one as a human, the second as a nurse or midwife, I'll say as a human being, it is a, a natural inclination to fall into the victim because we're going to get sympathy and that feeds almost an addictive process of feeling good, but it's a temporary feel good. It doesn't make a long lasting feeling. So we need to let that fall away. It doesn't serve us, but we need to look at it and look at the pain, the origin of that, which is probably in our childhood. So that's some psychology work, connect to that pain, let that go and see it coming again, but we'll be curious and be compassionate every time it comes. So I see the victim coming back in me, but I still take action. If I want to have a day where I'm not doing anything and just um, do self-indulgent things, okay, fine, do those things. But as soon as you bring awareness in, you reduce it. So it's not holding over you. You are in control of your uh, addictive victim behavior. The second as a nurse or a midwife is we are cultured and conditioned very much to pleasing a system. And I would suggest that, that we've either got fear or love. So you, you might say some of us have the courage to love and even to love our enemy. There is no vilification of the NMC. There's no point in saying, I hate them, they're bad, but what they've done to me. We need to get beyond that because that's probably coming from our childhood, a parent or somebody else, maybe an authority treated us badly and we're still responding like a hurt child. So if we can get beyond that, and if we can't, we need to fake it till we make it. We can start role-playing that, saying, look, the NFC, good or bad, whatever they're doing, I'm going to show how I'm a reasonable, safe, competent practitioner. And that might mean discrediting the other person's argument. And I am going to tear their argument to pieces. And I'm going to show how their way of practice causes harm. We see these investigation reports, particularly into maternity services, showing preventable deaths and serious injuries to mothers and babies and i would add nurses and midwives we are harmed by this process so we need to have the courage to love stand up for ourselves and do this and why is it that lawyers and doctors will do it and nurses and midwives won't so it tells us something about the carer mentality and looking at psychology one of the books by gabor mate who i did the compassionate psychology is um there's two books that come to mind. One is The Body Keeps the Score. And When the Body Says No, that's the Gabor Mate one. And that's about nurses and himself. He's a doctor, a physician. And um, we're addicted to helping and being kind to others. What's going on? We need to look at ourselves. And I know when I do practice cranial sacral therapy, I have to be 90% in myself relaxed and 10% with the person I'm caring for. But if we're all off balance trying to help others, even you in NMC Watch know how important it is to stop and do self-care. And as a mother or a father with a baby or a young child or a growing child, teenagers even, 
self-care before we care for them. We all know that, but we don't do it. And here we are with a wonderful creative opportunity to shine a light on why regulation is so messed up. It's all massively overregulated and it's easier to sue the police, which I have done in the past. I've sued the Crown Prosecution. I've taken action against the Attorney General, uh, government bodies, even whole governments. And I have an action which I'll put in the, the notes below against the UK government, particularly on indemnity insurance for midwifery in the UK. So there's so many you... more subjects, but I won't talk so much now. Yes, fine. This is fascinating. I could talk to you for hours, but it's fascinating. Um, so do you think that they, the issues relating to the NMC are specific to the NMC? or Because obviously we speak to people who are regulated by other regulators as well, physios, um, uh, dental students, student nurses, uh, doctors even. And uh, do you think it's an issue with regulation per se, or do you think we've got some very specific problems with the Nursing Midwifery Council? I would say it's both. Regulation for doctors does result in suicides, as we've seen. So we know it's really bad. There's a dentist who's quite high profile, I think, on social media. Um, the distinction with the NMC is it's probably the biggest regulator. So it has a huge thing. So their mistakes are bigger and they're hopefully more obvious, their mistakes. But they do seem to be very punitive. They're always whipping the dog. They're taking a stick to beat the nurse and midwife when they, the regulator, have made a mistake and the nurse and midwife may have made no mistake. And even if they have, they need to be able to get back to work to look after people because the country needs nurses and midwives. So I think all regulators are a little bit mad and bad in the case of the NMC, it's quite perverse. I mean, I was at a meeting with you many years ago. The head of fitness to practice, uh, Matthew McLennan, had no understanding of nursing or midwifery. And they get promoted. They're on over 200,000 a year. And you can write to them. They don't write back. You can ask them for meetings. Your organization's successful in meetings. I represent many nurses and midwives. The NMC hides from us. They never engage. And that's why we need to go to court. And sometimes the court will be useful. Sometimes they won't be so useful. But the more often we go to court, the more in the public light this will be. And take away their parliamentary privilege. Um, it's fine for defamation, but it's being used as a massive protective thing for terrible behaviours by the, the staff. We also need, I think, to write to the regulator for the solicitors, the Solicitors Regulatory Authority, SRA, they have a high threshold, but we need to meet that threshold with evidence of wrongdoing by the lawyers at the NMC. They only do what they do because they can. They won't if they can't. So um, what advice, and I'm sure we could talk about this forever, but what advice would you give somebody, say somebody approaching us, um, you know, with their case has just come in front of their, perhaps going to be facing an interim order review hearing or an interim order hearing? Um and they're absolutely befuddled, don't know what to expect. How would you how would you suggest that they start preparing themselves for that? First thing, self-care. Just do whatever it takes for your self-care. Second thing, evidence. Focus on evidence. Create the evidence. So write out a timeline. That's a simple, probably one or two page document. What happened when? Then third one, your own statement of what happened and when. Fourth one, statements from other people. Other people could include an expert witness statement. 
not a PhD person, just a regular person doing the same job as you do to say what you did was fair and reasonable and safe. That's it, that you're a safe, competent practitioner. When you've got that together, you've already got a really great bundle of evidence to defend yourself. Then look at the prosecution case and ask six basic questions. Who, how, why, what, where, when? Go through that with everything they've said. They said, oh, you did something bad. Well, who said that? When did they say that? They weren't at work that day. You know, so that's how you're going to discredit the prosecution by going through it bit by bit. And it could be helpful to put that document that's got the allegations against you and then write a paragraph in a different color so you're just going boom, 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 or a blank piece with numbered points. Keep things simple, clear with lots of space to make it easy for the reader. Numbered points help you refer to point six B tells such and such. That's it. Read a law book, because if you can read a medical textbook, you can read a law book. Read a law need, book yes. yeah, you don't need to read much. Once you've read maybe one book with lots of cases, oh, that case has got a bit like my case. Okay, now you have power from the law. I think sometimes some of the um, confusion arises for the people that we see is when they see the allegations on paper and, you know, you have to answer a yes, no to an allegation and life's not like that. Like, you know, particularly in the clinical world, you know, things are, there's a lot of context and I know the NMC are working reasonably hard to try and assess context around allegations at the moment. Um, Say for, say for a nurse or a midwife that um, says, yeah, hands up, I did make that mistake. What else could they be doing to try and um, ensure they get the most appropriate outcome for them? Be cautious about saying, yes, I did it, because I think it's always good to say, I'll take advice and let you know. If I asked you right now, what did you have for breakfast? Did you eat cornflakes or did you not? Tell me it's a yes or no question. I could push you on that and you might answer. I would say don't answer. You say, I'm going to take advice, get back to you. There's no evidence that I ate the cornflakes. There's no evidence of the allegation. Show us your evidence. So they rely on us shooting ourselves in the foot by innocently giving lots of information when we think we're innocently defending ourselves. We're actually misguided because in a criminal case, you would be most well advised to not comment. So why are we? Because we feel, oh, the regulator demands it. No, just because I'm asking you a question doesn't mean you have to answer it. But obviously a key part of the process that the NMC are looking for is for the registrant to show insight and to engage and to um, be active in the development of that case, if you like. So where's that balance? You know, how Okay, Let's look for that timeline, for Yeah. Well, you and I probably got quite different views of that because I think when I read and hear what you're saying, I really look at the remediation, show insight, give the NMC what they want. I'm over here like the NMC is really bad. Its processes are unlawful. So get them to be clearer. What is the allegation? Why does that allegation exist? And I'm much more questioning them. And that comes from a lifetime of being in courts uh, to get the information before I then say, well, we'll take advice when it's clarified. And then we get back to you. And we don't say when. And then if we are coming back saying our client or myself, whoever it is, has done everything reasonable. They've done remediation. They've done training without even saying they're wrong. So if they made a, a drug error, 
you say the client has been on so many drug courses they've really done loads of work on this they've done insight training and people management training and human factors training yeah, they're really way up there 10 times more than what they need to do brilliant great they're still not saying they made a mistake necessarily now that might in your book be not showing insight but i'm very very cautious about how far down the road of showing insight is almost like criminal liability right okay you can say well we accept that it could be seen as your view that that i made that mistake however some other people's view is that in the professional body of knowledge it's reasonable to do what i did so however if i'm minded to go along your path some way i would say well i've studied extra things i've worked hard to make sure i'm accommodating that view however the other view has equal value yes um, but if that isn't right for somebody don't have the equal value other view say i'm sorry i made that mistake i did that i'm just not really down the same path as that i'm much more strong defense and part of a defense is offense ask them yeah. questions yeah i just like to it can be done you, so politely yes yeah i mean i've had discussions with people about you know in an ideal world it would be fantastic to be able to have true mediation in this process you know where you have the two sides sitting down look at the crux of what's happened and look at how we can safely move forward with everybody because there's such a waste of professionals in this whole process isn't there either through mediation resolves about 90 percent of cases in new zealand really? with midwives so if a woman complains um, a third party goes there when you're listened to there's momentum you shifted that anger that resentment that misunderstanding mostly and most of it is misunderstandings here we have a regulator that will take a case when we should just have a conversation yeah that's it a mediation doesn't mean a secret deal it can be a public judgment in the end of it whatever the parties that agree mediation with. work in new zealand how does that work is that done by a separate organization or is no, it done in, in the college of midwives some people train to be the mediator a very brief little training and bear in mind five-year-old school kids do mediation at school in the playground i always think if they can do it the grown-ups could learn from them so a midwife will do a brief training and then when a situation comes up the college is contacted, they send somebody out. If the woman's unhappy with that, it gets escalated. But as I said, about 90% is resolved. eBay also has similar, something like 90% success rate with mediation. I think they use robots. I mean, personally, I hate talking to a robot or doing anything, but they do get people to resolve unresolvable issues without going to court. And we have a machine that just needs to be fed. You know, three years... To have a conversation and we never had it they had a hearing without me uh, without my witnesses so now we go to the high court and the high court might bounce it back for a rehearing i don't want that yeah so what what do you want to get from the, from the appeal in an I'd ideal like costs and compensation every time <laughs> i go to court uh draw out a schedule of costs and i take a mcdonald's approach if something costs two pounds you know for one burger uh just say well this has gone on for three years if i had 10 pounds a day that would be x amount whatever 10 pounds mm -hmm. three years is uh, as compensation or you want 100 per day and your time is valuable as a clinician as a nurse and as a midwife lawyer's time is valuable why is their time 300 pounds an hour and yours is 30 pounds an hour 
Yeah. So we can charge for this. It's a cost and compensation. I want it thrown out. I want it quashed. But I'm much bigger in my focus in that I see the NMC as criminal. It's responsible for gross negligent manslaughter even. So that's criminal. But nobody's investigating that. The powers of the High Court are two ways. One, they're limited. They're meant to just look at what happened in the hearing. To look at the hearing, there were the hearings before that that do affect it. So I'm bringing that in, but the NMC is saying, no, we don't want any of that. The bigger picture, the High Court can do anything. It does have the remit. And if it fails to do the right thing, I would happily, after a judgment against me, just go to the Court of Appeal and go to the next one. So independent midwives in this country had a judicial review a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, and it was lost. I was in that court hearing at the Royal Courts of Justice, the judge, a woman judge, said she happened to go for lunch at the chief executive's house of the NMC and just thought she should tell everybody that. But they've already been waiting for this case so long. I mean, that judge should have recused themselves. If I have a judge who, and I had one previously in the High Court who said, well, brain damage for babies could be millions. So if it's public safety, I guess we have to keep this midwife suspended. They didn't actually look at the value of the case they just had an emotional reaction to knowing well it could be a very costly thing if a baby has a brain injury there's no in my case no allegations about harm or potential harm mm. um so it's a big stretch that they say somebody's unsafe it's a very big stretch to strike somebody off what if i did work in france i could make an undertaking say oh i never do that again but actually there's bigger international law which is women have the right to choose how and where to birth the right to private and family life article 8 of the unchr and that also applies to us so we're allowed to travel around in europe we were part of the eu at that time and you know you can go over a boundary in many ways a legal boundary but a geographical one so if it used to be in England, if you're working in one area and you've notified your intention, you might go to a relative in another area. You know, so where are these boundaries? And this is really good if the courts can determine this rather than a regulatory body that really shows not only no understanding, but no engagement with registrants with us. And do you think the public truly understand what the role of a regulator is? Do you think they, they, because we're, we're always told that it's, you know, the regulatory responsibility is to protect the public from us. Yeah. Do you think the public actually fully understand what no, that means? It's quite perverse. I like Ricky Gervais's uh, definition of, you know, the ordinary person in, in the public. He describes it like, well, if you, you know, the, the lid on the bleach is secure for a reason because lots of people will do stupid things. And, the perverse thing about regulation is the public will and are able to complain if a nurse is not or midwife sanctioned hard enough, but the midwife can't do anything if it's too hard. Mm. That's why it's perverse. There's no fairness. If we're looking at criminal cases, which I do, and they have to be fair and they have to be balanced. So why shouldn't regulatory law be fair and balanced? And the public's expectation is unreasonable sometimes. I know with midwives, people have complained because the midwife wouldn't come on Saturday morning to see them or she didn't like the dress the midwife was wearing or something about the midwife irked her. That's not professional. And it doesn't happen with teachers and the police. They're much more protected, although they're also vulnerable. But in general, they need very robust evidence, not allegations. And that's the problem. The NMC treat allegations as evidence. 
They don't test and weigh the evidence at all. They just treat the allegations as proven. And then when it's it would all really be interesting, wouldn't it, to to have a case and put it to each of the different regulators, you know, and put it to teaching body and the police and the NMC and and see who came up with uh, different different outcomes, how they would actually view view view. Well, I do look at these cases, and the great book I'd encourage everybody. It's about one hundred and fifty pounds. Maybe a few of us can get together. It's just regulatory law, the textbook, and it shows all the other professions, and they are having. Even if I complain about a solicitor, they have a much higher uh, burden of proof for me to meet before they will start an investigation. Whereas the NMC will start one. And I know some cases do get dropped, but even that process is too long and too hard on the nurse and midwife. So if if there were um, two, maybe three things you could change about the way the NMC regulate currently, what, what would they be? Well, the first thing would be an independent inquiry into the harm that it's caused historically and currently. And then it would need legally qualified people to run it. And that means judges, ex-judges, uh, senior lawyers with vast experience, because legal assessors vary. Some are good, some are not so good. And even when they give advice to the panel, the panel often ignore the advice or think they've considered it, but they haven't given fair weight to that advice. So in my case, I, they were told, I've been on the register since 1983, uh, good character, that's a high bar to say somebody's not a good enough character to suspend them. And so they ought not to have suspended me. They said, oh, we've considered that and, we and, and we've decided that we will suspend it. They didn't show how they considered it and how they gave any weight to the two arguments. That's a failure and that happens all the time. So the one thing they're failing is on rationale. They don't give reasons. And they can't because they just don't have the mental capacity. It needs to be a fit and proper panel with fit and proper people. My view is they're clearly not. And the whole institution of the NMC is wrong. And it's wrong to give more money to something failing. What's right is to have an inquiry, an independent investigation, and appoint a, a judge or somebody senior like that who has legal experience and knowledge and run it properly in the magistrates courts you have a legally trained person giving advice to the magistrates and they will always seek advice from somebody if they need it in a case um why not the same for the regulator the regulator thinks they know everything they are very very dangerous people they are criminal in their actions they're causing massive harm to the public and to registrants okay paul thank you so much it's, i could talk to you for hours it's fantastic so, Pleasure. Um, Thank thanks you. so much for I'm sure everybody listening will hear you know so many familiar themes and be grateful for the points that you're raising and hopefully learn um, something to take away for their own cases so that's fantastic thank you so much well done Catherine with all you're doing and wishing everybody self-compassion okay so we hope you enjoy listening to us and we'll look forward to hearing your feedback soon. Bye.